Your Bibles, please, as you have a seat, will be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read 9 through 13, and we're actually going to read that passage together. It's printed in your bulletin for today, and so we're going to read that version of the prayer this morning just as we close this series. And we'll read that in just a moment. As I said, we have been in this passage now for several weeks, breaking down the the Lord's model prayer for us, the prayer that He taught His disciples. And as, as you think about that, it's very important. I think, I mean, I have recited the Lord's prayer throughout my Christian walk, which I was saved at 19. And I don't know that I've ever thought about some of the things this series has been very, very convicting to me. Throughout uh, Bible college, throughout uh, seminary, throughout my teaching ministry, I've never really done a deep dive into this prayer. And I've seen more and more how important it is and, and what that should communicate to you as God's people is how important God's Word is to us. And that we take it seriously. And, and that we slow down. And, and that we think about it. And, and maybe even to the point of, you know, really, you know, we might have a, like, the, if you're doing the Bible reading plan with us, you're reading that as a, as a, at a pretty fast pace. But maybe at the same time, either in a men's study or a Sunday school or even in your own personal study, slowing down and really digging into the Word and meditating on it and thinking about it. So as we come back to this today, it'll be the final one. You'll notice that as we read the the passage that's printed in the bulletin, we're going to read the last line of the prayer that we know so well, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you have a Bible open, you will notice if it's a more modern English translation, that phrase is not in there. And that is because that phrase, it seems to be, that was added in the later manuscripts. Probably someone um, wanting to express a doxology to, uh, for, I mean, that ends that prayer. But the earliest manuscripts don't have that, that phrase in there. Not that that phrase is not important. So I think it is still good for us to pray that. Um, as you look at the prayer and you think about it, I want you to remember the context of this section of teaching. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and and Jesus has been addressing prayer. He has been instructing His disciples on sincere worship and prayer before our Heavenly Father. So that is the context here. Um, In our series, we have called it a pathway to intimacy. That is because in His step-by-step teaching, He is instructing us how to walk in intimacy in prayer with God. He is focusing on those things that are of the core importance of, of what we should be praying. I mean, I don't see any other way to look at this prayer. Uh, it should be a model prayer for us. If you have your handout with you today uh, for the sermon notes, if you didn't get one, you can. there may be some left over, or you can see me afterwards, and I'll be glad to get you one. But on the back of it, you'll see um, Randy Pope, the pastor in uh, Atlanta, at Perimeter Perez, put together a, a series of teaching as well as some um, uh, uh, guidance and, and discipleship. And in that discipleship curriculum, he has 21 days of personal worship. On the back of that, 
uh, handout that I gave you is his kind of focus of how you pray through the Lord's Prayer. And you can use that every day in your life. And so I would highly recommend that. That you would use that daily in your life. That's the reason why I put it there. As you think through the Lord's Prayer. Notice, if you'll notice how He kind of focuses each part of the prayer. And you just walk through the Lord's Prayer like that. So it's sort of a guideline. So as we think about this passage, we are thinking about pathway to intimacy with our Father. A third thing I kind of want to put, put out there before we read our text this morning, and we've discussed this before, is one way to see this prayer and, and to kind of focus on it is to look at it and notice that it divides into two sections, like the Ten Commandments, and along with that, the Great Commandment from Jesus. The first section of the prayer focuses on God. The second section of the prayer focuses on the one praying for their needs. And so notice that, that parallelism that comes. I mean, there's all kinds of places in the Bible where you see parallelism like this. And so our hearts are to adore God before we come into the aspect of our needs. And because of our great God, who is in control of all things and all-powerful and almighty and, and all-giving, we can trust that what we pray, He hears and He cares for us. And so putting these two aspects together of, of focusing on God and then focusing on uh, the, our needs as well, it, it brings the entire prayer into a focus. And uh, it helps us to grow in intimacy and in favor with the Father. And so with this in mind, let's read the text together. And what I mean by reading the text together is let's read it aloud together with me. It's in the bulletin. You may know it by heart. So let us, let us read this passage. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would teach us this morning what you want us to know, that you would drive it deep into our hearts, that it would be a help of us, and then it would bring glory to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, this is the prayer that we have been studying that Jesus taught His disciples. And, and as I kind of alluded to before, it fits together with God and with man. And in the last half of this personal petition segment, it has moved uh, in a logical way. Um, it's moved from the need of food, and so daily provision, so to speak. It has moved then to, you know, because we all need to be alive, and we all need to have the things there that, that would help us to be alive. The next thing that we need as human beings is we need a, a, a we need a, in a deep sense forgiveness. We need forgiveness from the Lord 
as created human beings who have fallen. Um, Now we see in the prayer that those who have been forgiven need to keep and be kept from dangers of temptation. As we recited in the confession just a little bit ago, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. And so here Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, we are to pray in a way in which we are acknowledging that we cannot do this on our own. We can't do it on our own. We simply do not have our own power and we need help, divine help, help from above, help from the Father to be kept from temptation. And so as we dig into the heart of this petition, we're going to consider three aspects here. We want to understand the battle we face. As we pray this prayer, we have to ask ourselves, why do we pray this prayer? So we're going to look at the battle we face. Then we're going to look at, as we're praying, how how is this a weapon? We're going to look at the weapons of grace. And then finally, we're going to look at the great hope that comes at the end of this prayer and and the hope that we embrace. How about that for some little rhyming there? All right, so first of all, the battle we face. A few years ago, and some of you that were here may remember, uh, General Assembly was in North Carolina, and I'm from North Carolina, and so instead of flying into Greensboro, where 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 General Assembly was, it actually saved some money because it's a lot cheaper to fly into Charlotte. So I flew into Charlotte, I rented a car, drove up to visit my mom, drove over to General Assembly, and then once General Assembly was over, I drove down back to Charlotte to spend a weekend with my college roommate and several of our friends who, that went to college together. It had been years since we'd seen each other. Um, as we were there talking and... and uh, talking about our time, again, we went to Columbia Bible College. Now it's called Columbia International University. It's a good school where students are taught to be serious-minded Christians who trust in Christ and to, who trust in His Word. And so as we were talking about just where we had been and, and you know, the, 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 the stories move from all the hijinks, you know, that you do in college and all those things. And we're laughing and talking about each other and having a good time. It, it, but then we kind of moved into this more somber type time, I remember. And we began to talk about the trouble that many had gotten into. Um, brothers who had totally abandoned their wives and families, walking away and actually just turning their backs on them. Uh, we, we talked about the one who took his own life, who lived on our hall. We talked about the one who was in prison for actually molesting. We talked about those who had turned from Christian orthodoxy. A close brother even who had turned completely away from Christ and now at this time leads a group of atheists. To be honest with you, we just sat and we just thought about it. It was very sobering of, of all the issues that we saw of those people that we went to school with. However, it got even more sobering. We moved into the areas of discussion concerning temptations that we had faced. 
you know, we talked about our weaknesses. We talked about our failures. As a matter of fact, one of the guys who was with us had been asked to leave the college for a moral failure, and we never knew why he had been asked to leave. And so he shared with us his failings and, and his struggles in adulthood. And we thought about it, you know. You're there at a Bible college, you're sitting, I still remember sitting on the hall at night in a Bible study, talking about Jesus returning, talking about how we're going to do incredible things for God. We're sold out, we're on fire. And then when we leave the college, the reality of what Jesus is teaching here hit us. We will face temptation. He tells the disciples in Matthew 26, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. To set the stage of understanding this, we must remember that sin is not primarily an activity of the will so much as it is a captivity of the soul. So when a person becomes a true follower of Christ, a true believer, the soul captivity or dominion of sin is broken in the Christian's life. Sin is broken. However, and Jesus wouldn't be teaching His disciples this, would He? If it weren't true. And we wouldn't be singing the letters that happened uh, later in Paul's ministry as he's writing to the church, telling them to beware. We know as Christians that the presence of sin can never be abolished in this life, nor the influence of sin altered. So what that means is this, the nature of sin does not change in regeneration or sanctification. Its tendency is always the same. To take you away from the Lord. And even though the status of sin is radically offered, or I should say altered, in the life of the believer, influence, the influence of sin, is not. Again, its tendency is always the same. So the issue is that temptations abound in the life of the believer. Theologians remind us that temptation is used in two different senses in Scripture. It can uh, refer either to a direct temptation to do evil or to a trial in terms of being tested. We see this clearly laid out for us in the book of James. If you're to take the book of James and you're to study the first chapter there, uh, 1 through 3, we read the famous verses which we all know. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So here, God allows His children to pass through periods of testing or trial for various purposes and results. And we see this throughout the Scriptures. For example, we are weak is what he is saying. We are weak. So let me give you a few examples from Scripture. Okay? Um, first of all, if you have your Bibles open, turn over to Exodus 32 with me. Turn over to Exodus 32. In Exodus 32, just to give you a little context, the, the people of Israel are coming out of captivity. 
um, they've experienced incredible redemption. The, the majestic glory of God has been displayed in Egypt as he's delivered his people from captivity through, through the plagues and through the crossing of the Red Sea. You know, the glory of God has been manifested. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, here the soldiers are coming. And God manifests this cloud to, to blind them and keep them away so that Israel can pass over the sea. And then what does the Lord do? He parts the sea, and as the Egyptians are coming, He closes it over. And so here, they've experienced this. And so if you were to say, experience that, what would be your heart and mind in that, you know? What would be your heart and mind? Your heart and mind, I think, if you would be honest, you would say, boy, there's no way. I wouldn't believe that God is the almighty, all-powerful God and there's no other gods before Him. And I'm going to serve this God forever. Yet. Yet. It doesn't take long to see how weak they were. Look with me at Exodus 32. Um, having redeemed His people out of the glorious... Um, or out of the captivity of Egypt uh, in a glorious way. He's now giving them the law, and He's giving them the law as itself an incredible grace. In verse 1, we read the words, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now I want you to think about that for a minute with me. What's the issue here? What's the issue? Why are they doing this? What leads to this unbelievable act of idolatry? Timing. Schedule. Moses and God aren't on our schedule. He's not here in time. So what are we going to do? Let's make gods. Hey, let's do that. Yeah, come on, throw the cow in there. Or throw the gold in there and poof, here comes a cow. Think about that just for a moment. How easy it is for us just to, just to go astray. What should we do? Make gods for ourselves. How weak we are. It doesn't take much for our hearts to sin and to run after God replacements. Here's the thing. Do, this is what Jesus is trying to teach us here in the passage in Matthew chapter 6. Do you own the fact that your heart is like this? Do you own that fact? Let me give you one more example. Flip back over to Matthew. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Here in context, it's the night of his arrest. Jesus has spent the evening in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, he's led them out in song, and they're going to Gethsemane. And here, he asks his disciples to sit. You know, you guys sit over here while I go and pray over there. I'm going to go pray. But he takes with him Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so he takes them with him, and, and there he begins to be sorrowful and troubled. And so he tells them in verse 38, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, the text says he fell on his face, and he prayed in great sorrow. 
And then when he came back to the disciples, how did he find them? He found them sleeping. Look in verse 41. He said, Peter, so could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Here's that verse. Watch and pray that you may not be that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he goes away. And then he comes back again. And how does he find them? Asleep again. He's just told them. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. These men lived with Jesus. They saw him do miracles. They saw Him raise people from the dead. These three were with Him when He was at the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet here, do you you think they just didn't have any emotional EQ here? They just have no idea that Jesus is... Hey, I didn't know Jesus was all sorrowful and tore up. I mean, we came out of the meeting and I thought everything was fine. I don't think that at all. I think they knew that Jesus was sorry and they couldn't do it. And he tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What happened? Those who had lived with him and listened to him and worshipped him and had communion, the first communion with him, fell asleep on him in his greatest hour of human need. The flesh is weak. So here's the thing. We have a great battle before us. We have to admit this. We have to understand this. We have to see that. And that's why the prayer is here to help us. We are weak. Do you realize that? Do you know that walking through your life, knowing that temptations abound? This is why the petition is in this prayer that we are instructed by the Lord to pray. So let us then understand that. Do you again own that? Please do, because that's the beginning of grace. That is the beginning of understanding the weapons of grace. So let us now consider our second point, the weapons of grace. While only one weapon is focused on in this particular text in Matthew 6, which is prayer, because that's what he's focusing on, there's another weapon inferred here that we just read in 26.14 when we see the words, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. So I believe that these always go together. Watch and pray. And that's what really that first point there is leading us up to, is understanding the watching part of it. My heart is prone to, to, to wander. My heart is prone to wander. And so to guard against that, I think the Lord is having us see that by watching, and He's also having us praying. So in Jesus' instruction in the model prayer, He says that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, understanding that the battle we face, that we are in fact weakness itself. And that infers watching on our part as we pray. 
So Owen, back to Owen again, he points out the soberness of the situation that we are in as redeemed saints, yet still within their sin nature, that neither one's love for or honor of the world, nor a person's sense of shame at revealed sin will save them from temptation's power. This past week, I read a story and it just popped in my head when I was doing the sermon. I was thinking about it and I don't know, it came out of nowhere. Sometimes that happens. I read this this week or maybe it was last week. I don't know. I read it sometime in the last week. But there was a woman and she was, um, she was enraged at this driver in front of her. And so they were at a stoplight and she pulled up behind this driver and she starts swearing at him. And she's frailing her hands as he's beeping her horn and she's just doing these things. And as she's doing that, she hears this knock on the side of her window and she looks startled and there's a policeman there. The policeman says, ma'am, would you please keep your hands on the steering wheel? And would you please give me your driver's license and, and, and bring it with you as you step out of the car? So she steps out of the car. She gives him the license. And to her horror, she's put in handcuffs and put in the car and arrested. When she's taken to this place... Uh, the jail, and she has to sit there for several hours in jail, and then someone finally arrives to pick her up, and as she goes out, the arresting officer is there, and he looks at her, and he says, ma'am, I am very sorry that I arrested you today. My apologies. When I came up to your car, usually in a situation like that, I would stop the person. Hey, what are you upset about? You need to calm down. You need to cool off. I might give you a ticket, but then, you know, after things have kind of settled down, I'd send you on your way. But I couldn't do that because as I was walking up your car, I noticed a a, a sticker there about Jesus. And so I knew this car has to be stolen. Man, you guys are slow this morning. This car has to be stolen, man. Neither one's love for honor in the world nor a person's sense of shame at revealed sin will save him or her from temptation's power. We need to watch. We need to understand the lure of temptation to sin in our lives and we need to take it seriously. So again, I started out by saying this. We need to take this seriously. I am convinced and, and, and even convicted of that as I studied that this week. That I need to take more seriously my heart and soul before the Lord. That these things really are life and death situations. If I had some sort of tropical disease that was going to just kill me, and, and I went to a doctor and he says, I've healed dozens of people from this disease. This is what you need to do. Would I follow that? What Jesus is telling us in this prayer is, is that temptation is real and, and, and its object is to destroy you. And to destroy the Lord's glory in bringing Him ill repute. Will you not take this seriously? The heart's 
secretly begins in temptation to like the matter of the temptation. It starts there in the imagination. It begins to grow then when our lust meet with the temptation. And it's stimulated by opportunities for its outworking. At this point, we are just a step away from uniting the desire with action. At at that point, all opposition has vanished and we give in to sin. So I want you to think of it this way. It may be in terms of road rage. I am justified and right to just let that person have it. It might be that it's, it's about buying a grown-up toy that you know you can't afford. And that you know that you've already talked to your spouse about, and yet you go ahead and do it. Causing greater debt in your life and fear in your spouse. It might be imagining the zinger that you're going to give your coworker in retaliation for what they said in the last meeting. It might be a way to stick it to the man or to the government by skimming off the top. It might be about holding a grudge in self-righteousness. Or it could be a cycle of fear and discouragement. You see, the list goes on and on and on. And do you see why the weapons of watching and prayer go together? Here's the key. We have to have an understanding of where we personally are most vulnerable. I can't do that for you. You and the Father and the Holy Spirit need to Maybe your spouse or your family can help. But even there, don't we know we would hide secret temptations, don't we? At the same time, you need to keep an eye out on ways which you may come become vulnerable. But as you watch and as you pray, you need to understand that not... The, not not even the, those who think they are the strongest Christians can do anything to preserve themselves, which is why you need the prayer. You're called to watch, but then it's in the power and the glory of the Lord to keep you. And so again, I ask you, and I'm going to keep harping on this, have you taken this prayer seriously? Do you think that if Christians really did take watching and praying seriously in our day and time, that it would make a difference in the presence of the church before the Lord and the presence of the church before the world? I don't know about you, but again, I'm so convicted by this. I need to watch and pray. And I would ask you to watch and pray with me. Brothers and sisters, he that is little in temptation, let him be much in prayer, for we are kept only by the power of God's grace. So says John Owen. In light of that grace, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a great hope that we can embrace.
This great hope that we can embrace in our third point, this great hope that we embrace comes in the last half of Matthew 6, 13. Look at the text again. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would I say this is where the great hope lies? How does God deliver His people from sin? How does that happen? He sent His Son, Jesus. He sent His Son, Jesus, the great deliverer. He is the great hope that we can embrace in our watching and prayer. We see this displayed in a, in a, in a giant Jobotron-esque fashion in Hebrews chapter 4. 14 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help of need. Now if you go back to your Old Testament history, we were talking about the Old Testament this morning in Sunday school. And if you go back to your Old Testament history, in the Day of Atonement, uh, also known as Yom Kippur, uh, this was the most solemn day of all the Israelite festivals and feasts. It occurred only once a year. And on that day, the high priest was to perform elaborate rituals um, to atone for the sins of the people in the Holy of Holies. So before going into the Holy of Holies, the high priest was to bathe and to put on special garments. Then the sacrifice of a bull for a sin offering for himself and his family would occur. And the blood of the bull was to be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest was to bring two goats. One to be sacrificed because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins would have been. And its blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. The second goat was to be used as a scapegoat. The high priest placed his hands on the head of the goat and he confessed over it the rebellion and the wickedness of the Israelites. And he sent the goat out with an appointed man who released it into the wilderness. And the goat carried on itself all the sins of the people which were forgiven for one more year. But only one more year. And so every year they had to do this. Every year they had to do this. There were washing ceremonies that were uh, required and often throughout the Old Testament and symbolized the need for mankind to be cleansed of sin. But the Day of Atonement never ended until when? Until Jesus went to the cross. You see, Jesus is the great high priest. So says the book of Hebrews. And He came and He gave an offering once and for all. A once and for all sacrifice. The need of the cleansing ceremonies noted all throughout the book of Hebrews. The blood of bulls and goats could only atone for sins if the ritual was continually again done every year, year after year, while Christ's sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe in Him. When the sacrifice was made, He said the words to Telestai. It is finished. And then after raising from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of God. And there is, brothers and sisters in Christ, no other sacrifice that is ever needed. Do you see the significance then of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16? 
For we have, for we, sorry, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So brothers and sisters, He is the one who has been tempted as we have and yet did not sin. He is the one that the Old Testament spoke of that would be the coming deliverer from Zion. He is the one who shed His blood on the cross once and for all. He is the one who knows His own and who protects His own, who keeps His own. He says, I know my sheep by name. He is the one that Paul said will rescue us from every evil deed and bring us safely into His heavenly kingdom. Praise be His name. Amen. He is the one who alone could teach us rightly then to pray in this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For He overcame all temptation and is our great deliverer. Let us then with great confidence draw near the throne of grace and prayer that we may receive mercy and find grace and help of every time of need that we have. Let us pray this every single day. For Thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray.